Welcome to the Arts and Minds podcast from Dominican University. I'm Leslie Rodriguez. Located in River Forest, Illinois, in 2020, U.S. News and World Report ranked Dominican University at number 10 among Midwest regional universities and number one for best value in Chicagoland. At the heart of the university is its Catholic Dominican tradition, grounded in the compatibility of reason and faith. The programs of the Live Arts and Minds series presented on campus each year are curated to reflect that tradition and build on the university mission to participate in the creation of a more just and humane world. Today's episode is part one of a three-part series featuring conversations between faculty and alumni about pivotal issues of 2020 and the light they shined on social inequities. Discussing the impact of COVID-19 on communities and individuals, Tamara Bland, Acting Executive Director of Nursing in the Bora College of Health Sciences McNeil School of Nursing, is joined by two alumni trauma nurse Neil Emig from the class of 2016, and Nancy Rivera, 2013 graduate and program manager in a WIC center on Chicago's South Side. The conversation was recorded on August 19, 2020, and was moderated by Dominican University's Chief Diversity Officer, Sheila Radford-Hill. know about any of you but this pandemic has made a new person of me I have gone through things I never thought I'd go through and I've met people I never thought I'd meet and today I'm meeting some people who inspire me greatly because the work they do safe to help people heal from tragic circumstances, to take them to the next level and to advocate for the most vulnerable is part of being Dominican. In fact, it's Dominican to its core. I'm grateful to be here today with Dr. Tamara Bland, with Neil Emring, and with Nancy Rivera. And we are going to have a conversation about what COVID means to each of us in our various professional lives and personally. So thank you for being here, Tamara, Nancy, and Neil. Let me begin by asking you before the pandemic, what were the things that you were most grateful for in your life? Before you even knew that COVID was going to be what it is, what were you most grateful for? 
And I want to hold on to that. So I want to hear your voices. Please share. And I'm going to begin with you, Nancy. Please share something that you were very grateful for before this moment of pandemic. Uh, I feel like I was very thankful for having a regular eight-hour job, <laughs> a 40-hour shift, because um, I was able to come home to my children. I have a 15-year-old and a 9-year-old. So uh, having that routine established was, you know, really nice. <laughs> but after the pandemic, I really had to switch gears. So, yeah, it just had me rethink, you know, just switch around my schedule, a lot of homeschooling and having to juggle. I'm having to do three days, two days shift at home. Uh, it definitely wasn't easy. Neil? Yes, I was most happy and, you know, before COVID hit with my family and friends. I'm a very social person. Uh, my wife and I recently purchased a house at the end of 2019. And uh, then we kind of went through the winter time. Um, you know, we furnished the house a little bit and we were looking forward to having all our family and friends over the beginning of this year and moving into the summer. So really just, you know, we had a very positive outlook on getting together with many people, many family, many friends. Um, and really, you know, once March hit, uh, that really put a damper on where we thought 2020 was going. Mm -hmm. you know. Thank you for that, Neil. And uh, Tamara? I would say um, I was most grateful for the time I got to spend with my parents. Um, my parents are older. They have uh, comorbidities. So before the pandemic, um, I would host Sunday dinner. I would cook dinner for them. They would come over. We could sit and talk and laugh and play board games and, and catch up after church. And with the pandemic, all of that went away simply because of putting them at risk. I didn't want to put them at risk. They didn't want to be outside. I didn't want them outside. And so just in hindsight, you, I, I miss it because it's something I never took I took for granted that I would always have. And while they are here, I still don't have it. And so I, I just can't wait for those days to be back where we can be at the Sunday dinner table again. So it seems to me that each of you had family and friends in that conversation. And family and friends gave you that sense of grounding Let's imagine now that we're in this COVID time and we're looking at the data and we're having experiences around families who are being affected by this virus. And so I really want to ask you, and I want to begin with you, Neil, in Oaklawn, working at Advocate, what was it like? to find out that your unit was going to become a COVID-19 unit. What was that like? Sure, yeah, so, you know, dealing with when the news kind of broke in March and then moving into April, um, we didn't really know what we were dealing with. So in the beginning, it was just, it, they came to us and there were volunteers. They said, hey, you know, uh, you staff nurses, who wants to maybe go upstairs? We're thinking about putting together a COVID unit uh, and there were actually two two units that were going to be up there at the time seventh floor and eighth floor and then it started to proceed as okay um, well we need all those volunteers and now basically the rest of the unit we need all of you now 
So it really started as, ah, we might need a couple people. And then it was all hands on deck, uh, you know, and then, so then we were up there and um, it was, it was pretty wild. It was, it was about as bad as you think it is. You know, it was, it, it progressively just, it was, it was strange how it progressed so rapidly and so quickly, I guess you could say it kind of went from zero to 100 within a very short amount of time. So I think that was one of the most interesting things of just kind of, you know, hearing about the news of what we might be dealing with and then really just how quickly things got to the, you know, that, that high level of acuity and, and demand of care, you know, so, yeah. Dr. Bland, um, you know that the research indicates that race, ethnicity, age, education, income, place, and other social factors affect health and well-being. The prevalence of COVID-19, however, in black and brown communities has really sharpened our awareness of these factors. Based on your experience as a nurse and based on your research, why are the disparities in deaths and prevalence in Chicago? Why are they so stark? So when we talk about health disparities, it's really important to remember that the inequities in health are deeply rooted in the social systems and structures that are in place. So sadly, you know, more than one half of early deaths in black and brown communities or marginalized communities are caused by common conditions like heart disease, stroke, diabetes, police brutality, gun violence. Um, and then you add COVID-19 to an already vulnerable population, and then the mortality rates in the black and brown communities, they are astonishing. They have skyrocketed. Um, the one thing that COVID has done um, was shed this light on the impact of health inequities, health disparities, has on black and brown communities. Um, I mean, what we have to do is look at the community. We can't just improve the health of one individual. We have to improve the health of the community itself. And that is really what we are now shifting our focus to more since COVID-19 has shed this light of inequity, um, lack of privilege, um, ethnicity is in there. Um, and it's also important for me, at least as a, a brown woman, to say that race is not the determinant of health. Racism is the cause. And so we have to get to the root of that. We have to resolve that in order to have a positive effect in our black and brown communities. So Nancy, you just heard what Dr. Bland talked about in terms of the social determinants of health. And you live that story every day at your job. Can you explain, if you will, what some of the on the ground experiences that those in low income and vulnerable communities have faced in light of the pandemic, the economy, and the racial unrest? Well, I mean, as it is, I already had um, a high-risk population. So I had a lot of moms that already needed extra resources besides what I already give. So 
I mean, it's women, infant, and children program. We give supplemental food. So it, it doesn't cover all of mom's nutrition. It doesn't cover all of the babies and you know, children nutrition. So we do provide uh, additional resources, but now with like the riots that happened, um, I had more moms that were even more devastated. So, um, you know, it wasn't my usual, you know, okay, you know, this is the amount of people that usually ask for extra resources. Now it was a lot more than I had on hand. Um, I had moms that couldn't make it to those distribution dates, um, you know, that were giving uh, companies that were giving out food, um, infant formula, Pampers. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we do what we can. You know, we just provide the resources that we have on hand. And, um, you know, today we actually had our company do um, an event, you know, and we gave out food boxes, we gave out resources, you know, to apply for WIC, um, different kind of resources. Um, so it wasn't just a food box that they received. It was like back to school material, things like that. So um, there are things out there that we can provide to our communities, but, you know, there's still a lot that has to get you know, done, and it's just not easy for these parents. It's not easy for our parents, and it's not easy for our communities that have already been devastated by poverty, by racism, and certainly by just being forgotten. What has inspired any of you to continue this work in such difficult conditions? Um, I can speak a little bit to what inspired me and what continues to inspire me. So in my career, I have also worked as a home health nurse and I chose to do that um, to help communities, black and brown communities, where there were oftentimes nurses who didn't want to go to those communities because they were on the west side and there were, you know, stigmas around Inglewood or, or whatever neighborhood. But those are the communities that need the most help. Those are the disenfranchised communities. Those are the communities where access to health care um, or resources to healthcare is not there. So to serve as a connection between the healthcare system and the patient is huge for me. It's, it's advocating at its best. And so for me, what sustains me now is my passion has always been working with marginalized and vulnerable communities. And so in this current era, now is the time to continue that work and work harder and work with others in order to to level the playing field. I mean, it's unjust, it's an unjust system. And so right now is the time to make it just. Now is the time to look at those social influences and say, this is not equitable in other communities. How do we do this? Why do we need to do this? It's, it's for the lives of, of people. When you look at zip codes in the city of Chicago and you go from downtown to the west side, it shaves off somewhere around 10 to 15 years of, of, a, of a person's life. So in downtown, you can live to be 83, but on the West side, the average life expectancy is 89, I mean, 69. And that, that, is, that is heartbreaking. And I know, Neil, you experience it firsthand, so you may have a different perspective, but in the outpatient setting, it, it's as equally as important in an inpatient setting. 
What about that, Neil? What inspires you? Sure, yeah. Um, what inspires me, especially since COVID has hit, is, uh, well, I mean, I got into nursing because I want to help, obviously. I want to see people get better. So, I mean, what, what helps me wake up every day and head into work is knowing that I can help someone. And, you know, there are cases that where there are tragedies, but there's so many more cases where we get to see people come in and they're doing rough. And then we get to see them leave the doors, you know, healthy and happy. So especially during COVID, you know, as, as much heartache that we had, we also had a lot of good stories as well. And um, so the, the inspiration is, you know, one, watching the patients get better, you know, when they can get better, you know, we take the good with the bad, um, you know, and we like to reflect on a lot of that and all the hard work that we give. Um, but also really the teamwork when I show up to work and the people who I work with, you know, I'm here talking to you today and there's just one of me here right now, but really behind me and, and on my back is, is so many more people uh, who are doing exactly what I do. And, uh, you know, they, they sacrifice so much just to head into work, you know, uh, you know, I have coworkers who are living with their parents. Uh, they were, they were, you know, displaced into hotels so that they weren't coming home and possibly carrying COVID to a family member who's going through chemotherapy and things like that. So I worked with a lot of people who sacrificed a lot just to show up to help. And, you know, you know, it's just, it, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to show up to do something to help others. And, you know, no matter what, what the outcome may be, you know, if you go in and you do the best you can, I mean, what else can you ask for? You know? Right. Well, both of you talked about both ends of the continuum, the vulnerable populations that inspire you and the first responders and frontline workers that inspire you. And those two groups of people are the two groups of people that COVID hits the hardest. And not only those people, but their families and their communities. So I want to go to you, Nancy, and just tell you that as, as a alumna of Dominican, you are leaning into the creation of a more just and humane world. And you're doing that by acting with and on behalf of those who are vulnerable. We have a new project on this campus. It's called Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation. And fundamentally, Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation is about understanding that there's a hierarchy of human value, that some people in our society seem to matter and some do not. And yet, every day, you're helping people know that they matter. And so how do you think communities can support our most vulnerable citizens since you see that vulnerability on a daily basis? I feel like um, a huge part of it is, it's really simple, it's just letting know um, that person that you you're listening, that you understand what they're saying. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's just out of frustration that, you know, that they're not getting service fast or, you know, they're not getting the need that they want. But 
you know, it's just, you know, having them just hear you say, I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, these are the options that I have for you. Um, you know, I, I'm willing to provide more resources. Just letting them know that you're there for them uh, makes a huge difference. Um, I've had patients that, you know, have expressed, you know, how thankful they are just because, you know, they, they're hearing me say, you know, that I'm listening to them. So it, it, I feel like it's as simple as those words, just, you know, I'm here for you and I'm listening. I see you, I hear you. So what inspires you, Nancy, to think about the end of this pandemic and what a healthy community would look like? What do you think would be the most inspiring part of being in a healthy community, like the community you work in, that is now better than it was before this pandemic? What would make it healthy? Well, I feel like um, as long as we, we come together, you know, with all these resources um, and just continue to, you know, voice, like be that voice for that community is so important. Um, you know, it, if there's an event going on, just participating and actually being there, um, you know, just giving your time and just having that listening ear is a huge part you know, of helping that community heal. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be anything like big. It's as simple as listening, I feel like. I think, Neil, I want to go to you. What does a healthy community look like to you after COVID? Sure. A, a healthy community to me um, after COVID, you know, I think it's, I think it's a community that, that cares about one another, you know, and everybody's doing their part, you know, to, to look out for one another. Um, really, that's what we're trying to do right now. Um, I think a community that's, like I said, looking out for one another and, and really just trying to be a good neighbor, I feel, you know, and, and help one another and, you know, no matter what it might be, there's health concerns, but I think just, just people genuinely being good people and helping one another, you know, there'd be, you know, trips to the hospital or just being courteous and polite, you know, on the other side of COVID, I work trauma and deal with a lot of violence, just being good to one another. And I think, um, understanding other people's perspectives, you know, and just being understanding and kind of in it together. If everybody was a lot closer, I think we'd be in a better spot right now. Thank you. You know, Dr. Bland, we tend to rank human beings in our society. We tend to judge their worth by where they live, what their zip code is, what their social status is, what their wealth is. This is actually an idea that we really need to stop. We really need to stop valuing people on superficial things and start valuing people because they're human beings. In your vision of a healthy community, how can citizens 
lean into the idea that we value everyone? So for me, it would look like this. No, race, ethnicity would not impact health. That health disparities would go away. We would improve economic conditions within neighborhoods and communities so that the people residing there have equal access to health. Having access to high quality uh, healthcare would help with getting rid of poverty or um, it would add to safe and affordable housing. We could decrease violence and stress. And, and the one thing that I would really like to mention is the mental health aspect of um, disparities within black and brown communities and how it has skyrocketed with the use of co with the um, pandemic and COVID-19. And so for me, I guess I say all of that to say if we could take our vulnerable groups as we have labeled them from black and brown communities from the periphery and make them the center of attention and utilize that attention to eradicate the social determinants that undermine the community, then we would have a healthy community. My absolute goal would be for us to to take on the model or mission that undeserved populations are not left behind and all we can and all we need to do in order to not leave um, vulnerable populations behind is to employ ethics of care, empathy and understanding. Um, and that's what TRHT works to do is change that narrative around communities who are disproportionately affected by specific diseases and in particularly during this pandemic COVID-19. So thank you very much. I, while you were talking, I thought back to something that Nancy said, and it really had to do with listening to people and making sure that they know that you see them and that you care about them. And this sounds so much like the ethics of nursing more generally. So in the field of public health and nursing, what do you think, if you could wave a wand, what do you think would lift people closer to that health equity and closer to living in a healthy community? So what one thing, if you could, Wave a magic wand, and I'm gonna to come to you, Nancy. One thing that you could do to make the community where you work every day feel closer to the coordinated care, the insurance, the resources, everything they need to live a healthier life. What would it be? Well, for me as a nutritionist, I would love for everyone to have fresh fruits and vegetables. <laughs> I think that's really important. It really does start with, you know, being healthy inside. And then, um, you know, it, it comes for, first from yourself. You know, you really do have to take care of yourself. And, and then from there, um, you know, I, I would really want um, the community to have like resources for, you know, to know how to cook and, 
you know, resources to know how to be independent. Um, there's so many uh, resources out there, but it is a long distance drive because I am in uh, South Chicago area. Um, so it is considered a, a food desert area and there's just not much out there. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, like you said, it's that social, like, um, you know, separation that is being done, especially with this community. And it's, it's pretty sad. Well, I want to spend just a little time talking about children. From your vantage point, each of you, what do you think we can do to lift children in this very vulnerable time when they are suffering and may not even be able to tell us how? Suffering by going online for schooling, suffering by seeing parents suffering stress, suffering by not being able to get fresh fruits and vegetables, suffering with the uncertainty that if we feel vulnerable and feel like we have no control, just imagine how they feel. So I want to talk about children. What do you think we should, can do to support them during this time? I'm going to go to you, Neil. Sure. I think, I think one thing we can do to lift up the, the kids is really just be there for them as best as possible. I know a lot of people have a lot of obligations, but really just being there and then opening up a dialogue of explaining why things are the way they are right now. And, you know, hopefully have a positive outlook of it is how it is now, but maybe in the future, you know, we can kind of get to a better place. You know, I know it's hard right now, but maybe just, you know, try to talk to them and really be transparent and let them know exactly what's going on, why we're doing things like this. And, and, you know, kids are pretty smart. They, they can understand that if they're suffering right now and going through these rough times, if it's going to have a positive end game, you know, I think they'll be more, more likely to participate, you know? So I think really just being there as best we can, um, being present and then an open dialogue, explain what's going on and, and where, where hopefully, all these sacrifices will end end, and, and where we'll be hopefully in a better place in the future. Tamara? So for those of you who don't know, I have a 17 year old who is starting her, who has started, I correct me, um, today started her senior year at of high school. And when the pandemic first started, it really took a toll on her um, the social isolation, the lack of um, physical activity because she is involved in athletes. And so one of the things that I found that worked well for her is just taking the time to hold space with her. For me to be open and honest with how I'm feeling and the impact it's having on work related to me, you know, working longer hours, the impact of sitting in front of the computer. Um, and so that created this space for her to be able to share. It created that dialogue as Neil um, talked about to say, hey, I know this is affecting you, but let me tell you how it's affecting me. And so we connected um, with that, the bridge of empathy. Um, and I think that taking our children into consideration and our children, not just my child, but all children um, and speaking with them, 
as they understand and as it's impacting them. And it might need to be a daily check-in. It might need to be a couple of times a day as the news reports come out. They all have cell phones. So like I know she gets the Apple News updates just as quickly as I do. Um, but then also maybe unplugging, unplugging from uh, the social world to just relax and, and have a conversation. So what we have done is we've made time to literally just sit on the porch and talk. Talk about anything and everything under the sun, but it, it's a way of keeping our mental um, health sharp. It is a way for us to have conversations that about this difficult situation that we may not have had before, um, but it all requires just taking a little time out of the day to connect with the children, whether it's individual or on a group. And I think it, it helps in both directions. Nancy, what about um, your own family? How do you connect with them through all of the things we've gone through since March? Well, um, for my family, I try to, um, you know, on a daily basis, check in with them and see, you know, how they're feeling. Um, so I just try to check in with my children as much as possible, um, you know, see how they're feeling about um, the COVID situation, which my nine-year-old did have a little bit of anxiety. Um, I had to explain to him everything was gonna be okay. You know, this is just a new, um, a new change that we have to make, um, a new routine. So um, try like as much as possible to not make it too much out of like, the original routine that we had. So he usually had football. So we try to get him into the football um, every now and then a couple times a week. Um, so I'll try to not um, get out of our normal routine too much. But um, of course, you remind him, you know, you have to wear your mask, which that has been a huge challenge uh, with the nine-year-old, not so much with my 15-year-old, but definitely with the nine-year-old. Well, it's a huge challenge for me too. I sometimes forget my mask. So I'm glad that you're compassionate because I think we're not in a mask wearing culture. So sometimes we do forget and we have to be compassionate with one another and help us to comply. So thank you for those stories. Now I want to end our conversation by asking you about Dominican. So you either work or went to school or both at Dominican University. How has Dominican University prepared you for the experience of a pandemic in an economic crisis during a period of racial unrest? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go to Neil. Neil, how has Dominican prepared you? Sure. I feel, I, I just look back at my time at Dominican and I, I just smile. Um, I'm just so happy about the time that I had there. I had some great, I had some great uh, clinical rotations, you know, um, I mean, you want to talk about disparities. Uh, I was serving populations at uh, West Suburban Hospital, so which is the majority of the West Side. Um, and then I did a pediatric rotation down at Mount Sinai Hospital, um, you know, and I did a home health rotation that we served, you know, the Southwest Side, South Shore, um, Bridgeport, uh, the West Side. I mean, I was I was all over, um, you know, 
And I, and then I was also in the emergency room at Rush Oak Park, you know, so you kind of see, you know, you can see, you can really see the, the whole, a wide variety of patient populations and, you know, who has follow-up care and things like that. So I really feel just my time there just really allowed me to become well-rounded in who's getting care, how they're getting care. And, uh, and just, you know, interacting with different, different patients and, and populations. And I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for the time and the education that I got at Dominican. Like I said, I just look back and smile. I mean, I just had a great time and I, I learned so much. And like I've said before, I feel, I mean, even, even now, you know, I can hear, I can hear and remember things from school when I'm doing certain things in the hospital, you know, and you know, certain rules and things like that, you know, and I mean, Dominican formed the foundation that I work on every single day. So, I mean, I'm thankful, you know, and I had an opportunity to come back and and tutor with some of the nursing students at Dominican. And oh my gosh, it was so fun, you know, and if I wasn't uh, juggling about 10 different things right now, I'd, I'd be there right now too, you know, but yeah, Dominican is giving me the foundation to, to go above and beyond, you know, whatever I'm doing now. So. I'll be forever thankful. So I'm just going to probe a little bit further. What are some of the things you're juggling now? Sure. Uh, well, um, for a while I was tutoring at Dominican. Uh, I also picked up a side job as a school nurse at St. Rita of Casha High School on the southwest side of Chicago, my former high school. Um, working full-time in the uh, surgical trauma ICU at Evka Coast Hospital. And then recently in January, I commissioned as a uh, as an Air Force officer um, to, in hopes to complete uh, flight schooling and uh, become a flight nurse with the Air Force Reserve. So um, I'll be heading out to Alabama for two months uh, Sunday uh, and to complete officer school and, uh, and keep moving along to hopefully be, uh, be a flight nurse one day uh, with the Air Force Reserve. So I got a lot going on. <laughs> well, I, I see you're busy, so um, we'll put you down for next year. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Great. Nancy, your education at Dominican, how has it prepared you for what you're living through right now? Well, um, my education for nutrition at, at Dominican has been very helpful. Um, I'm working especially with uh, pregnant women, infant and children. So I had a lot of uh, background on that, especially during my internship. I had a chance, um, you know, to work within the community that I'm working at now. Um, so it, it gave me a lot of the, the tools I needed, especially with uh, telehealth that we're doing right now. Um, and it had revamping that nutrition education um, to texting and using apps. Uh, so it, it really helped me just to think quick and get things done. Well, it's very important to think quick and and get things done. And I'm going to uh, ask Dr. Bland, who is a faculty member here at Dominican, to speak to this notion of all the things that you have to do as a faculty member to make these experiences work for students. And tell us a little bit more about that experience at Dominican. Um, So that experience for me at Dominican has been rewarding in the sense that 
there is a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to make the education for students equitable, understandable as a faculty to student and vice versa. Um, but I think that carrying the model of the Caritas Veritas is really what helps me connect with students and helps students connect with me. Um, the nursing is a profession that serves. And so serving through um, and with um, truth and love is, is all that is needed. I think that that is the foundation of everything that I try to operate with you know, and, and in there is honesty and integrity. Um, and so being on different committees, um, helping to establish uh, communities for um, health disparities, working with students who are of brown and uh, marginalized or brown and black students who connect with you because you share similar stories. Those are all things that I hold dear in my heart. Um, it's why I became a, a nurse educator is to be able to educate others, to be able to say, hey, you know what? I am a woman of color who was able to succeed and become a nurse and then earn a master's degree and then earn a terminal degree. So Providing that level of mentorship outside of the classroom, I think it really reaches people in a different way. It, it helps you connect with, with others. And so for me, that is, that is the role that I see myself doing, is being an advocate for students. Students at Dominican, yes, absolutely, but potential students as well, or within my profession of nursing. Um, I, I just, I, I cannot say enough about being involved and being engaged. And if I could get every nurse um, in the profession of nursing to be engaged in some way, um, to pull a, another student or a couple of students forward and, and help them, um, that would go a long way. One, for diversifying our nursing workforce or our healthcare workforce, but then two, also building that confidence and resiliency in students who sometimes don't necessarily feel like they have what it takes to reach that goal. Um, and so that's what I strive for. And, and I think the connections that I've made at Dominican with other faculty, with other educators across different colleges also plays a huge role in the impact um, it has on students. Thank you. Dominican University prepares students to pursue truth, to give compassionate service, and to participate in the creation of a more just and humane world. We have seen through the COVID pandemic, we have seen the value of that mission. It shines through in the work of each of you. And it shines through in what you're doing for yourselves, our students, our families, and our communities. I commend each of you. I'm proud to have met each of you. And I wanna close this by asking you, if anything in that mission statement, preparing students to pursue truth, to give compassionate service, and to participate in the creation of a more just and humane world, if anything in that mission stays with you in your work life or in your home life, 
any words in that mission that resonate with you? Neil? Yeah, um, I think just, uh, you know, giving compassionate care, you know, to my patients. And, and like I said, that's the reason why I get up every day and finding that truth, whether it be advocating for a patient or helping others. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, that's what, that's what gets me up out of bed every day and keep uh, putting one foot in front of the other. So absolutely. Well, thank you. Nancy? For me, um, it's truth. I feel like um, you really have to be honest um, and, you know, really state the facts, like, you know, not ignore the reality um, and just, just acknowledge it and, you know, the, give people their on, the honest options that they have. Like, honestly, what is it that you can serve? What is it that you can give, um, you know, from your field? You know, what resources are really do you have in hand? Just be honest with it. And Dr. Bland. Um, so I guess I'm going to end with saying creating a just and humane world and just in all aspects, not just healthcare. Um, I think that's important. Um, that resonates with me because that, that is the goal that I want. That is what I work for. That is why I talk endlessly. That is why I advocate um, because I think that's important right now. Just a just and a humane world um, is what calls me every single day. But with that, I want to thank each of you Dr. Bland, Neil, and Nancy for sharing with this audience. And I can hardly wait to see your stories in our Dominican magazine this fall. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us today. This conversation was excerpted in the Fall 2020 issue of the Dominican Magazine, which can be found on the university website www.dom.edu. That's www.dom.edu. The schedule for live Arts and Minds programs can be found online at events.dom.edu. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to the production team of Samantha Barr and Patrick Serrano. Theme music is 10 Days Sailing by El Rey Music. Closing music, so proudly Dominican, composed and played by Sue Kaczynski. The views and opinions of the speakers in the podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Dominican University. A wise Dominican sister once said, The search for wisdom, for love, for truth, is strenuous and unending. It takes good companions to persevere in it. Thank you for joining us.